Hi everyone, welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ podcast. My name is Phil Bruns. Thank you so much for taking time from your day to be with us. Well, have you heard the big news? Have you heard the big news that Jesus has been called the King of all kings? The greatest king of all time. Well, if that's true, we need to understand why he was called that and what that means for us. So we're going to talk about that today. Have you ever seen a president in person? Have you ever been close to a president, a world leader of some type? Many years ago when I was in college, in fact, I had just started my university experience at, uh, at the Ohio State University. I'd been there for maybe a month, maybe two months. And when the president was coming to town, it was Ronald Reagan. And of course, I hadn't even voted yet. And so I really had no opinion if I liked Ronald Reagan or didn't like Ronald Reagan. But he was running for president again in, in re-election, and he was stopping at the campus of Ohio State. And so I got myself a ticket one day, and I got in line, and I went into the arena, and there I got to see the president of the United States. Now, I wasn't very close, mind you, but I did get to see him, and he was in person. And so I really, really enjoyed and value that moment. We discussed in our worship service uh, the other day about if the president were to walk in into our worship service is that one he would have an entourage of maybe 50 people with him so we'd have to make some big space for him but he would come on in and and sit down and have a seat and whether someone liked him or didn't like him or had no opinion of him that would always be a day to remember that we would never forget the day that the president came to our worship service. You see, the president and all royalty and world leaders, they turn heads because the office is always bigger than the person. The office is always bigger than seeing the person. When I saw Ronald Reagan, that was 35-something years ago. It was a really long time ago. I have no idea what else I did that day, but I remember seeing the president of the United States. And so I revert back to the beginning introduction of the podcast. That if Jesus himself is the king of all kings, then it's important for us to understand why he was called that and what that means for us. My first thought today is that Jesus is the king. And today I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 17. But if you read through uh, largely the book of Revelation and uh, Revelation 17, it's, it's important to understand kind of what's going on. The timing of, of the things that are happening uh, throughout the land, throughout the culture of that time when John wrote the book of Revelation. I'm going to start in verse 12, but to kind of look at 1 through 11. We need to understand that Rome is at the Roman Empire is at the peak of its existence at that time and its extent. The Roman Empire extends all around the uh, what we know today as the Mediterranean Sea, all the way from Spain and to France, all the way around to the Middle East and then to the northern part of Africa. It was all Roman Empire. They had gained territory after territory not by coming in to ask hey would you like to be part of the new thing the roman empire 
No, no, no. They would come into a land, into a city, into an area uh, ruled by someone else, not asking them to uh, join the Roman Empire, to join the Roman party. No, no. They came in uh, with brutality. They would come in killing the king there and taking over the people, uh, making many of the people build roads and, and work as a slave for the Roman Empire. And of course, they were all about being loyal to the Roman Empire and not anything else, not anyone else. But the Roman emperor was the guy. And that included Jesus himself. So if you were arrested and you were a follower of Jesus, you were in a real dilemma. And you might imagine how, how difficult that would be. But that was kind of what was going on in the Roman Empire. And of course, you may have heard of the Emperor Nero, uh, who was to known totally for his brutality. He was one of 12 emperors, 12 emperors all throughout the first century AD. Uh, he himself ruled from 54 AD to 68 AD. And there were others before him and others after, after him, all of which uh, had, uh, uh, were not known for their, um, their friendliness. They were all about taking over other lands. Nero, in particular, known for his brutality. Rome took over Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. And then the Roman Colosseum was completed in 72 AD. And we find John writing Revelation in 95 to 96 AD. In a time that was very, very difficult under the Roman Empire, for followers of Jesus. You might imagine how difficult it may have been. So in Revelations chapter 17, uh, much of it refers through allegory uh, directly to Rome or to Roman empires uh, and their evil. Uh, emperors, these emperors in, in general were a bit crazy at the time and they were always under a threat of murder of themselves. And so there was a lot of uh, a death and a lot of backstabbing in the literal sense and in otherwise uh, that these people lived in. And it was a crazy, crazy time to be alive. But to pick it up in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12 as that all as a background. It says, And then the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they handed over the power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, capital L, and the Lamb, capital L, will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. To bring this idea of the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor more into a more modern in our time of view. You know, we're all familiar with presidents of, of one country or another, kings, royalty. There are those people that serve in those situations or in those, uh, with those titles all around the globe. And there are many others uh, in the world too that have substantial amount of influence as well. And typically, you find them living in big houses and big, uh, 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 big uh, castles around the globe. Comparatively, you, you might feel you live in a backyard shed that has holes in the roof and holes in the sidewalls and half leaning over. 
you know, one time my, my wife and I and our children, we were visiting the, the Windsor Castle in London, uh, England. And it was, it was a fantastic tour, as you might imagine, if you've never had the opportunity to be there. We saw so many things. As we were going around the, the museum, the public area, if you will, uh, there was an area that kind of jetted out to an interior courtyard that's about the size of an American football field of the Windsor Castle. And we were in this room that went over uh, just kind of the outside uh, track that, that circled, uh, the, uh, circled the grass area that was in the middle. It was very similar to a, uh, a, a running track that's around a football, that you might, football field that you might see at a sports stadium today. And this room kind of jetted out over this area. And as we were looking at the displays and, the, and the, the paintings and the things that were in the castle that were available for us to view, all of a sudden we noticed from on the other side of the courtyard, about 50 yards away, not one, not two, but it was five, six, seven, eight, I forget, it's been a few years ago, of these Bentleys drive into the courtyard and they circle around the courtyard to the right side where it was just kind of open and then they circled around back uh, down on the side that we were. And of course our room jetting out over into the courtyard just a bit, we were able to see all of this. So much so the Bentleys drive underneath the room that where we are standing. And they drive all the way down around to the closed end of the courtyard where now the masses of people that were in the museum have all gathered around these large windows to be able to see what might happen. The drivers of the Bentleys got out of their, of their cars and opened the doors and next thing you know, it was the royal family walking out into to get into their cars. It was a, quite an incredible sight and people were taking photos and it was quite a, a, a fun thing to stumble upon in the Windsor Palace. That day I think they were headed over to some horse races or something of that we'd find out later. But it was fun and made me wonder, my goodness, I wonder, I wonder if they've ever opened a car door. I wonder if they know how to open a car door because they always have the car doors open for them. I don't know, but you can understand the comparison. And not that there's anything wrong with financial success, not that there's anything wrong with uh, being, uh, being in charge of something and so forth, but sometimes when you see uh, people that are, are, uh, are able to live in such a, a setting, you know, they're in the big castles and we do feel a little bit like we live in broken sheds. The world leaders, they, they rise up. And they tend to become known as movers and shakers, and they gain the mansions. They gain the entourage of people that need to travel with them. They have the cars, the fame, the fortune, and it's easy to think that, my goodness, they have it all. And that's exactly the way it was with the Roman emperors. And on top of this, the emperors, they would, uh, it wasn't just you know, enough to show respect. I mean, they made people bow down to them. And the emperors at the time would continue to build onto the Roman Forum and make a name known for themselves. And whether it was the emperors then or even world leaders and notable people today, their lives are always seemingly on an increase upward trajectory of, of wealth and influence and power and those things that come with it. But then here comes Jesus. 
the king of kings. He was the elite status, the cream of the crop, the lord of lords. No one could compare. No one stood a chance against him. Not one in 10,000 odds, not one in 100,000 odds, not one in a million odds. It was zero odds. As the king of all kings, you know, there was something different about this man, about the who this Jesus is. I can easily think of two differences of Jesus being the king of kings versus world leaders that we know today or even going back to the Roman Empire. I have no idea how many world leaders there have been over time. But two things that separate Jesus from them. One is that he came from something way better than a castle. He came from a place way better than the biggest, the most amazing architectural work, design, palace, structure, house, call it what you want. He has come from something way bigger and way better. When you think about heaven, when you think about celestial beings out in outer space, comparing a small puny castle to outer space and to what we uh, could imagine that it looks like and what it is where Jesus came from, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. I like to think about heaven. I like to think about a place where there's no pain. I like to think about a place where there's no clocks because it's just all eternal. I think I like to think about places where people don't cry because they don't need to. I like to think about a place where it is just encouraging and it is love and it is all goodness and God dwells. Jesus came from a place way better than any castle. But where did he come to is important to consider. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be wretched, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Many world leaders live in castles. And they live these upward trajectory lives, gaining wealth, gaining fame, gaining power, etc., etc. Jesus comes from a place that is far, far, far better than the biggest of all castles. That is better and bigger than all the castles in the world put together. And he came down to something that probably looked closer to a backyard shed with a hole in the roof, holes in a wall, leaning over, looking like it was going to fall over in the next wind. 
Jesus came down to meet us. Number two, he was never out for his own betterment. He came down for you and me. The king of all kings did that. He wasn't to, uh, trying to gain more wealth. He wasn't trying to gain more fame or notoriety. He came down to the broken shed for you and me. And he didn't do it for his own betterment. It wasn't about power. In fact, Matthew 28 teaches us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, meaning there is none left for anyone else. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He wasn't out to get more power. He had it all and still has it all. He wasn't out about fame. In fact, in, towards the end of his life, he ended up being traded for a criminal, a known criminal. He turned what it means to be a king totally upside down. We've talked a lot about the sovereignty of God in recent podcasts. And it's important to remind ourselves about that, to continue to build our faith. I think that's in part what John is doing here in Revelation as he writes. He's reminding the followers of Jesus that he, in fact, is the king of all kings, regardless of how bad it gets. Jesus is the Lord of all lords. Jesus is the king of all kings. Well, for us, I'd like to bring it closer to home, and I'd like you to picture this broken shed in the backyard. It has holes in the roof, that the siding is falling off, that it is leaning over, that it's in rough, rough shape. Because to understand Jesus as a king, I think we need to be broken people similar to the shed. I speak of being completely humble, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, over, uh, by becoming obedient to death, even on the cross. We've got to start with our own humility, being broken in spirit, broken of our pride, broken of our selfishness, broken of our greed, broken of our anger, broken of those things that plague you the most, and approaching the king as completely humble. Broken to utter humility, looking like that shed out back with the holes in the roof, the holes in the sides, half falling over. Because that's where Jesus came to meet us. We can't forget that you and I, and in fact all people, of all status, of all races, of all nations, have fallen short of the glory of God. That is a fact. 
So Jesus, the king of all kings, decided to come and get us. He didn't need to do that at all. He chose to. That's why he is the king of all kings. Because no king on earth is going to do something like that. Jesus is the king. His kingdom doesn't have borders. It doesn't have geography of any kind. And you want to talk about his entourage? Well, when he was born, he had a multitude of heavenly hosts singing in the sky. And when he died, he could have called legions of angels at any moment. Jesus is the king of all kings. And my second thought today is that we are his kingdom. Going back to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14, it says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Jesus has people with him. And I really appreciate the description here. And we shouldn't underestimate this. Do you see the visual that Jesus isn't way out front? He isn't way out front, unapproachable, out of touch, with an entourage around him that we can't get through to, to touch him. It describes as those people that are with him. In other words, they're side by side, and it can't help me, uh, make, uh, uh, help me think more about him being in the battle with you, that he is in the battle with you, he is in the battle with me, he knows you, he fights for you, he is with you. He has come to the shed to get you where you are at, and he will never, ever, ever leave you. Please hear me on that. He will never, ever, ever lead you. But it says those who are with him, they are called. They were called. Peter, I'm sorry, Paul reminded the church in Ephesus of this very idea. In chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and in gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Isaiah the prophet heard a call from the Lord one day. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Isaiah writes, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go from us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. In the same way as Isaiah, in the same way as the followers of Jesus that Paul writes in the first century, you and I have been called by God, and we, we can't forget that. You know, when, when you're called for dinner, you come. There is a reason, and the reason is ready, and you're not there. But you want to be there, therefore you respond. God is ready for you, and he has called you and called me. My goodness, is that so encouraging or what? 
it is totally encouraging to think about that God is ready for us and he has called us. The reason is ready and we aren't there, so we go. We want to be there and so we respond. It's so encouraging that God calls us and it stands for reason that if Jesus is in fact the king of all kings, would this not be the greatest calling of all time? Would it not stand for reason that if Jesus is the king of all kings, that this is not the greatest calling ever? The king of kings wants to be with you. And in response, of course, why would you not want to be with him? He is the winning team. No one would want to choose the side that has no chance. He is the winning team. He is the winning side. He is the king of kings. And we need to remember that we are called. But the second thing it says about those with them is that they are chosen. You know, Jesus ordered this very thought with his own disciples, the people following him at the time, and it's absolutely appropriate and applicable for us today. In John chapter 15, he says to his followers then, and I believe to us now, you did not choose me, but I choose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is saying, guys, don't get any ideas. I did the choosing around here. I chose you, and Jesus chooses us today. Jesus did the choosing. Peter understood that, receiving that in the moment. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he writes to other fellow followers of Jesus. He says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why were they chosen then? And why are we chosen now? Well, Jesus said it himself. It is to go and bear fruit. Peter echoed that same sentiment when he said it is to go and proclaim his excellencies. We can't forget that we are chosen by God. And if Jesus is the king of kings and we have the greatest calling forever, would you not agree that this in fact is the greatest reasoning, the greatest mission, the greatest calling, this choosing that God has done? But let's be real for a second. This go and bear fruit, this proclaiming his excellencies, this business of this, well, that's not as encouraging. In fact, that sounds a little bit scary. That feels a little bit impossible. That feels too hard, maybe slightly embarrassing. You might be thinking, Phil, can we just ignore this part and talk about the encouraging part about being called, where, where God just called us? You know, I feel that, and I know you do too. 
because there are responsibilities to being called and then chosen. But hear Jesus' own words. Hear God's word. I chose you to bear fruit. Listen, if you're like me, I have no idea why Jesus chose me. None. Nada. I have utterly no idea how he found me or why he would choose me. And maybe you feel you might be in the same boat as well. But what I do know is this, is that I trust God's word. I trust Jesus. I trust in his sovereignty. I trust his knowledge. I trust his love. And I accept his mercy on my soul. I'm in. I'm in for Jesus. And we all have that responsibility to the King of Kings that calls us to action, that calls us to, uh, to respond in a way that we get to bear fruit on his behalf, that we get to proclaim excellencies on his behalf. And it is our responsibility to take that on. That, my friends, requires faith, which is exactly the third thing that he says about those who will be with him in Revelation chapter 17. He says that they will be faithful. This one is actually on us. Did you notice that? God does the calling, God chooses, but it's on us to be faithful. I have three scriptures here, just letting God's word speak to you. John 14 verse 23 Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, it says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And finally, Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You know, if someone opened up a, a job opening that paid you millions of dollars each year, paid you tons and tons of money, benefits were out of this world, and all you had to do is just come to two meetings a week to talk about the job. That's it. Two meetings each week. No requirements, no responsibilities. Just show up and be a friend with your other coworkers two times a week. Would you do it? Well, of course you would. It's easy. There's no, no challenge whatsoever. Just show up a couple of times a week. I got no other responsibilities, no other things to do. That would be a piece of cake. Well, if following Jesus was that easy, anyone could do it. No real responsibilities, just show up. And then what would be the reason for faith? Why would you need to be faithful at all? You see, we can't forget our responsibility to be faithful to God, to fulfill our calling. 
to fulfill our choosing, to fulfill what God has laid out for us all the way to the end. And my goodness, is that so, so good? Because that's the victorious side. Going back to verse 14 in Revelation, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. I want to encourage you to take some time to dwell in these thoughts. Think about how God has called you. What lengths did he go to reach for you? What lengths is he going to now to reach you? Remind yourself why you are chosen. Maybe do some journaling and definitely spend some time in prayer. And let's move forward together in being more faithful. And if you would like help with that, please contact us via our website. If you would like help moving forward in your faith, please give us a call. I love being part of the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. I am so proud to be a part of it. Jesus is the King, and we are his kingdom. I hope that was helpful, and if you liked it, would like to hear more, please don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And if you're in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, would like to stop in and visit us at a Sunday service, please send us a note or visit our website at blueridgedisciples.org for more information.